the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. It is Monday of Passion Week. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel of San Antonio, Texas, and you are listening to The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, anything and everything. All you need to do is provide the phone call, 340-9585, for your live calls and questions. That's area code 210 uh, if you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And remember, if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Hit the call now banner at the top of the screen. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. I pray all went well for you yesterday. And you had a great Palm Sunday service at your church. I know we did here at Calvary Chapel. And uh, it's it's just that first day of Passion Week is always very emotional for me. And um, um, I, I just want to spend some time with Jesus this week as uh, as we're, we're we're trying to remember exactly what it is that he did for me. Um, as I have done in the past on this program, just this week, I don't typically do it, but I like to, to think about and talk for just a few minutes before I get to some questions or phone calls. I like to think about uh, what Jesus was going through um, in this particular week. Um, of course, day one was yesterday, and you know that was a triumphal entry. We all probably studied that yesterday and and uh, um, we're overwhelmed by the the size of the crowd we're overwhelmed by the the the, the energy in the crowd but, but even more so overwhelmed by the duplicity of the crowd that's a lot of what I spoke about yesterday uh, Jesus walks in uh, or rides in rather into Jerusalem, he's proclaimed as the Christ for the very first time publicly. He arrives in Jerusalem at exactly the, the day he was supposed to be there, the day that all Jews were expecting their Christ to show up. It was April 6th, 32 AD, according to the widely accepted scholarship of Sir Robert Anderson in his wonderful book, The Coming Prince. Um, he was riding in on a donkey, perfectly fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah. Everybody knew, and yet they were disappointed in him. And what a tough day it was for Jesus. Nothing seemed to go well. He got through the crowd, and they weren't who they said they were, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. He then goes to his father's house at the temple, and it's not what it's supposed to be. A house of prayer has been turned into a den of thieves where the poor people were being taken advantage of. Think about this for a moment. 
Jesus said the gospel is good news for the poor. But the poor were the ones that were being ripped off. And then he looked at the religious leaders who were challenging him, indignant because of the wonderful things that he was doing. And while they were supposed to be God's ambassadors, God's representatives, they were murdering Jesus, already plotting his murder. And then, of course, we know that he took that two-mile walk from Jerusalem to Bethany. He spent the night at the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And as we begin day two, Jesus now has four days left to leave to live. That's when he left Bethany, cursed the fig tree on the way into the city. It's when he spends the night again in Bethany. There's just so much going on. Imagine what it was like in Jesus' heart and mind. Well, that's exactly what I hope all of us dealt with in our Bible studies yesterday at church. I've asked, been asked several times on this program. I've dealt with it a lot here at Calvary Chapel, but why did Jesus on day two curse the fig tree? And I said there were two reasons. One, I think his heart was broken. I think when he saw a fig tree and all he wanted was something to eat, he wanted breakfast, he was hungry. Isn't it amazing that God was hungry? Just like you get hungry and I get hungry. And he cursed the fig tree because there was no fruit. I think he took one look at those fig leaves. I think his mind raced back to the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve made the choice to rebel against God. And when they did, the glory of God departed. They were aware for the very first time of their nakedness and were ashamed. And they tried to cover their nakedness with fig leaves. I said yesterday, that's not a comfortable proposition, I promise you. But I think the thing that broke Jesus' heart the most was people were still, and I would add this, they are still, 2,000 years after the fact, trying to cover their sin with fig leaves. The second reason he cursed the fig tree was because he was giving an action sermon illustration. He was showing his disciples what happened the day before I came to Jerusalem, the day they were expecting me. He came to his own, and his own received him not. And no wonder he would weep over Jerusalem. I think we ought to spend some time thinking about the weeping that Jesus endured this whole week. Now, I'll do this a little bit each day, but what I'd really like you to do in the audience is to spend some time with Jesus tomorrow. Spend some time with him on day three. Just meditate on what he's done, what he was enduring, the difficulty of going to the cross. Now remember that he knew exactly what was going to happen on the Mount of Transfiguration. Moses and Elijah came to him, sent by the Father in heaven to tell him all the things that were going to happen. So Jesus wasn't caught off guard. He wasn't surprised. But imagine how difficult it was for him to accept it. To deal with the pain and the emotions. Jesus, we often forget, was completely human. He was God, but he was human. So if you spend a little bit of time with him this week, sort of walk in his shoes, his sandals. I trust that the Lord will speak to your heart. We have good Friday service here at Calvary Chapel on Sunday, or Friday rather, I mean, and then on Sunday, of course, our Easter services. Uh, we're going to have three of them, 8, 30, 10, 15, and 11, 59. 
Okay, let's get to some questions or some phone calls. We got Ruben from Seguin on line one. Ruben, thanks for calling. You're on the air. God bless you, Pastor Ron. I know that you're doing well. Thank you, Ruben. I uh, pray that you had a, a great weekend. Thank you, Ruben. Yes. Um, if if I may, um, I have a question that's very serious, and then I have an observation, if I, if I may just make an observation as as I was reading, um, like I always do, I just thank God that the Holy Spirit has just completely taken control, and I love it. And and I think, no, no, I know that um, I've never allowed the Holy Spirit to take as much control as I have now, especially with everything that I'm going through in my life. And um, I wouldn't read the Bible for a couple of days, maybe a week or so, and it wouldn't bother me. I wouldn't have a sense of, of uh, you know, grief or, you know. But I thank God that now if my, if my flesh says, oh, you don't have to read the Bible today, God knows your heart and, you know, he knows. I thank God that, that the Holy Spirit was like, would be like, nope, you pick it up, Reuben. You turn that TV off, and you pick it up, and you read it. You know, so I thank God that that I do I do that. Especially, you know, I mean, I just finished the Book of Romans, and oh my God, the Book of Romans was just oh, just I mean, you're like a like a like a, a, a page turner, and you just read, yeah. you know, everything that he was saying, you know, about how much God loves us, and then how he kept on referring to the saints of old, you know, to Isaiah, to Abraham, how he kept, you know, and then when Romans finishes and then he starts in, in first Corinthians, he just like picks it right back up and starts where he left off. And I'm just like, Oh my God, this is just like, I want to eat it all up. <laughs> and, and, and I know that I can't remember exactly where in Isaiah, I think it's Isaiah or Ezekiel. There's a, there's a verse where it was either Isaiah or Ezekiel that an angel was talking to him, and the angel literally told him, eat the scroll. And I, I didn't understand, like, what that meant. And and I think, I think I finally realized what he meant was, like, live the Word of God. Eat it. Live it. Digest it. So that way, when, you, when the enemy comes, he won't have a foothold. Which leads to my question. My mother is passing away of dementia. And that is a horrible, horrible disease. And to see her yes. the way that she is, it's heartbreaking. And I think if I were not, and I'm not boasting, don't take this the wrong way, Pastor Ron. Because I'm far from being perfect. But had I not been reading the Word of God, especially in the book of Romans, I think I would be one bitter Christian. And I would say, mm. God, how can you let my mom live like that? So that's my question. You know, um, how, I mean, not why, but, you know, are we ever going to understand why he prolongs death in a certain, in this certain sense that my mom yeah, is in? That's, that's a, yeah, Ruben, that's a hard one. Before I answer the question directly, let me share a couple of things with you first. Uh, remember what you said at the very beginning of this call. Um, uh, the next time the, the enemies attacking you, the next time, uh, remember the fruit that comes from being in the Word. Uh, you use the phrase, you know, uh, your flesh says, oh, well, I don't have to wor- read the Word today, you know, I, I can take it easy. Well, that's always flesh. The Spirit, of course, says, uh, I get to read the Word today. I get to hear from the Lord today. And we need to remember that. We we really need a, a sort of a, a, a focus correction in things like that. The other thing you talk about being surrendered to the Spirit um, I hope as you were reading through Romans, uh, you camped on Romans chapter 8 for a while. 
But one of the things that, that maybe this is the spirit of God, Reuben, if not, certainly it's not going to do you any harm, but um, um, spend a, a, a whole week, just one whole week in just Romans chapter 8 and see what the Lord will speak to your heart. It will absolutely thrill you. Now, let me answer your question, because this is one of the most difficult questions that any of us deal with. And uh, I have a dear friend right now uh, who is in Florida, and he is dying of cancer. He's been struggling with it and battling it for, gosh, seven or eight years now. And and um, uh, while our hearts have been broken, uh, he has been so faithful in all this, serving in his church, um, he was in our church for a long time, he and his wife, but but uh, military transferred him out. And uh, he's been serving in his church. He he was teaching men's Bible studies. He, he was just getting involved and staying involved at every step of the way during his battle with cancer. And he had more joy and more peace than ever. And he has been, uh, we got an email from his wife, um, Kathy, who uh, said, um, you know, she, it's so hard for her to see him suffering the way he is. Please pray then now that the Lord will take him peacefully and quietly. And, and she said, although my heart will be broken, it's better than seeing him like this. And we always wonder why it happens. Ruben, I, uh, you've, you've heard me say this before, but, but Paul and I, our very first ministry together, long before I was pastor on, our very first ministry together was in a nursing home. And uh, we would teach Bible studies there, and then we would spend time with the individual people. And and there were there were people, I, I mean, people that really loved the Lord, and the enemy was just ravaging them uh, in that nursing home. And um, uh, some of them couldn't see anymore, couldn't see to read, they couldn't hear. So when I'm reading, I, I would get in people's faces and yell at the top of my lungs. Paul had to stand at the door and let people know, no, he, he's just reading, she's deaf. And and to see people deteriorate like that and to see him suffer is unbelievably difficult. And um, all of that to say, we don't know the heart and the mind of God. His ways are not our ways. Now, that's not a spiritualese-sounding uh, uh, cop-out. Uh, we don't know. Uh, we don't know who's going to get saved. We don't know what kind of family reconciliation is going to occur in these last days. We don't know that this might be a time for you and your mom where you're able to, to minister to her, even if she's unaware of it. And so these are really difficult things. When everybody says, well, why does God... Why does he allow that? Um, I, I, I respond with this. We'll, we'll answer this question. Why did he allow his son to suffer the greatest indignation and torture in the history of our world? The greatest act of violence, the most horrific, was that which his father allowed Jesus to take on our behalf. And, you know, when we don't have answers to questions, we have to rely not on what we don't know, but what we do know. And, Reuben, what we know for sure is that his act in sacrificing his son was a gift of love to the world. And here's what I know for sure. When you stand before the Lord on the day he raptures his church or on the day our bodies give out and we go to be with him, we'll know the answers to those questions. In fact, we won't have to ask those questions. And praise the Lord, I, I uh, you know, for those of us who are saying goodbye to the loved ones who are actually Christians, uh, we're going to see him again and we're not going to remember all of the pain and all the suffering. So there's no why. We live in a fallen world and people suffer and it would not be a just God if only unbelievers suffered. God's job is not to eliminate the suffering, at least the temporal suffering, of the, the age that we live in. This is a result of the curse. But we can hold on to the promise that one day that suffering is going to end. And dementia, and especially Alzheimer's, when it develops into full-blown Alzheimer's, uh, it is the, the most cruel way to live your years uh, of any I've seen. I, I know people who have suffered with with horrible, horrible pain from cancer and other things. 
but dementia and Alzheimer's seems to be the worst the effect it has on everybody. So we don't know, Reuben, but we will. And this is the same God who's allowing this suffering. This is the same God who allowed his son, who refused three requests from Jesus to let this cup pass from him. And I think we have to remember that. And this is one of those things where we hold on to the nature, the character of our God, and remember that he is good to us, even when circumstances are as painful as the one you're going through. Reuben, so many people are praying for you. I know now they're praying for your mom. And I, I pray there there is some relief there. God bless you. Thank you for the phone call. I appreciate it. Here's a question from Miguel. He said, Pastor Ron, I have a very shameful past. Now that I'm a Christian, do I have to confess my past to family and friends? I confessed already to God. You know, Miguel, uh, our sins, when we confess them, we confess them to God. But here's what I want you to remember. Um, confession is um, part of our testimony. If you will uh, look at the, the Apostle Paul's statements about his own life, he would say things like he is the chief or the worst of sinners. And, uh, you know, it's hard for us to believe that he could be a worse sinner than I am, but, but he said he was the worst of the worst, and he actually wrote that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. What happens to the shameful things in our past, once they're put behind us, when our sins are forgiven, and our, our, our sins are as far from us as east is from west, uh, then our past, as we present it before other people in the form of a testimony, our past then becomes a trophy for Jesus, a trophy for his grace. And I think, Miguel, that um, we kind of got to get over ourselves a little bit when it comes to that. Uh, I tell people all the time, I've done really, really shameful, terrible things, and they embarrass me, but they also exalt God and they advance the cause of God. And it becomes, as I said, a part of our testimony, and we need to be willing to share. Now, the way your question is worded, you don't have to confess to family and friends to be saved. That happens in your confession to God. But I think one of the great signs of the new you uh, is humility. And you go to the people that you've hurt personally, and you go to those people, and you say, uh, I'm sorry, I met Jesus. And I ask you to forgive me for these terrible things that I've done. Now, some may, some won't. But the point is, they'll see, as they look into your eyes and heart, they'll see the difference in you. And then the Holy Spirit will begin speaking to their heart about if he can change him, if Miguel can be changed, if Pastor Ron can be changed, well, then maybe there's hope for me. And over and over and over, two things, Miguel, that, that happened to me personally when I was a Christian. And remember, I don't know if you've heard my testimony, but I was actually running away from home um, the day I got saved. I was too embarrassed, too, uh, too much pride to face my, my uh, wife and kids. I just I just couldn't do it. So I was just going to, you know, I convinced myself they'd be better off without me. And uh, I just dis- was going to disappear. That was my intent now. And it's grace. God only let me get a block and a half away. But, but uh, once I got saved, I had to go back and tell them that, that my kids in particular, I said, everything that I've ever taught you has been wrong. And I don't know what's right yet, but because I just gave my life to Jesus Christ, when I find out what's right, I'll let you know. And instantly, Paul and the boys knew that something had happened to me. And I met Jesus. I'll go back even further. When I did fall down on that public street in Upland, California, 31 years ago, I remember crying out for Paul as Jesus. Because I didn't know anything about him. I wasn't raised in church, and the idea of a Jesus just seemed silly to me. And yet I knew her Jesus was real. I tried to control her life. I tried to make her life absolutely miserable. The problem was her Jesus was stronger than I was. And so, Miguel, ask the Lord. You've got the Spirit of God living in you now. So ask the Lord what he wants you to share 
and then he'll provide you opportunities to do it. And there's nothing quite like going to the people who knew the old you and demonstrating who the new Miguel in Christ really is. So I hope that helps, Miguel. Uh, one more thought on this. You know, my, my I have two sons. One of them is saved. He's the older son, and he was saved. And he's pretty blasted with tattoos. I mean, he's got tats everywhere. And some of them are pretty gross. Um, and he he was like you, Miguel. He didn't want anybody to see. He didn't want anybody to do those things. And um, he asked me about it one day when we were on vacation. I said to him, Ronnie, um, those tattoos represent the old you. And what a witnessing opportunity those tattoos are when somebody asks about your tattoos. They say, you know, this is my old life, but since I met Jesus Christ. And while you can still see the tattoos, the old me that wanted those tattoos is completely gone. And it sort of gave him a different perspective on his past. So, Miguel, whatever your shameful past is, praise the Lord that the old is gone and the new has come. Thanks for the question, Miguel. I appreciate it. We've got 30 minutes left on the Monday show, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. This is the word to stand up for life. I'll be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to our Monday show, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Hey, at the top of the program, I forgot to remind you that tonight here at Calvary Chapel, we'll be having our men's, women's, and youth Bible studies at 7 o'clock. You can make it sort of a family trip here and uh, study the Word together. Uh, That's at 7 o'clock. Ladies, you can watch the women's study uh, at calvarysa.com. Let's go to Cindy holding on line one. Cindy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. I really enjoyed yesterday. That that was so fulfilling and and it's so much to think about. But what I called about was I'm kind of... I don't know how to get this uh, straightened out, but Jesus comes riding in on, on the foal, the donkey, and that was prophesied, and all these Jews knew that that's what was supposed to happen. So did they just disregard the prophecy, or did they just decide, oh, oops, you know, we'll, we'll just move on to something else? So there's that thing right there. Now, fast forward to now, what are they thinking? Do they... Do they read the Old Testament anymore, or do they have any prophecies they're going to try to um, manipulate into Jesus, you know, into the Messiah coming? Because now that they believe that he didn't come, how are they going to figure out uh, the prophecy that they're going to use to say, oh, well, this is Jesus? Um, I don't know if I'm making any sense. Yeah, um, yeah, you are, Cindy, and it's a great, great question. Uh, let me let me deal with the second part of that first, and then then I'll, I'm going to be really direct uh, answering the the first part of the question. Um, Jews, Paul says in the Book of Romans, that Jews have experienced a hardening in heart, a hardening of heart in part. It's not permanent, but in part until the fullness of um, the number of Gentiles has come in. Uh, we're, we're in a place where God is no longer dealing with Israel. Uh, he's dealing in grace in this this church dispensation, and uh, and so uh, part of the thing is their heart is hard. They're they're still listening to their rabbis now. Many 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 Jews, maybe most Jews, are still secular. You know, they're not religious Jews; they're secular Jews. And you know, the scripture isn't something that's part of their life. But but those who uh, are Orthodox or practicing Jews, uh, they're they're reading the scriptures um, with with a veil covering their hearts. Paul says, until that veil is removed, and it's mo- removed uh, only when one turns to Christ. I think it's a, an effective way for us to pray for Jews that they would turn to Christ, so the veil would be ripped 
open uh, the veil in their heart and they would see what's true. So um, this is just Jews simply do not believe that the Christ has come. And the suffering servant passages, Isaiah 50 and forward especially, um, they they just would never uh, admit to those being um, uh, for their, their, their Christ, their Messiah. So they're still looking for Christ because their hearts are are hardened and the veil covers it. Um, we know that they will accept the Antichrist when he comes on the scene at first. And uh, they will accept him even as a non-Jew because they believe that um, when the Messiah comes, he will allow them to rebuild their temple and uh, begin uh, making sacrifices and observing the festivals in the old way all over again. And so when that happens, uh, they're going to believe what they want to believe. You know, I've told the story here, Cindy, on this program about a, 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 a very conservative talk show host, Dennis Prager, who appears on the sister station here at KSLR on uh, his program at, uh, on 930 AM, The, the, the Loop. Um, and he was asked one day uh, by a Christian, said, well, well, when the Christ comes, what's the first question you'll ask him? And without even thinking about it, Dennis Prager said, oh, that's easy. I'll ask him, have you been here before? See, that's, there, there's that, that witness of the Holy Spirit, but they're unwilling to open it because it would mean admitting that everything they've ever learned is wrong. You know, in the in the, the time when Jesus returns, uh, Zechariah, where did you get these wounds? He will say, I got them in the, the house of my friends, and there will be wailing and weeping as in no other time in, in, in Israel's history. It's hard to admit you're wrong. It really is. Now, relative to the Jews, um, even though he was there at the right time, even though they had the word of God, uh, even though they'd seen the power that Jesus demonstrated with his miracles and 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 the the, the wonderful things that he he had done, um, they, they recognized that he taught with authority like no other rabbi had ever taught. And even though all of those things, the exact day riding on the donkey, um, the miracles of Jesus, the power of his word. Um, and even though all of those things were true and they knew it, they didn't like what he taught. Loving their enemies, turning the other cheek, happy, blessed are the meek. They, they we, we humans, our flesh doesn't like those things. Um, give to Caesar, render to Caesar what is Caesar's. They wanted the Christ. They expected that when the Christ came, that was going to be the problem resolved. No more Rome. Well, obviously, that wasn't why Jesus came the first time. And the reality, Cindy, is that they were disappointed. I started the messages off yesterday asking the question, have you ever been disappointed in God? Now, let me bring that forward a couple of thousand years. Because we live in a time where our hearts are even harder you know, I understand that you saying, well, I didn't think this is what the Messiah was going to do and questioning it. But we live in a time where we have the definitive proof that Jesus was the Son of God and God the Son. Historically, there's no doubt that he was a real person, that he lived, that he walked the earth, and that he changed this world like no other human being has ever changed the world. And he did it in a very small area. So here's what you need to understand. They just were disappointed. They didn't want him to rule over them. And the Jews said so. We will not have this man rule over us. And so they hardened their heart. Now, the reason I said let's bring it forward 2,000 years is because we do the same thing. We've got the evidence of an empty tomb, which every single person in the world can investigate and find out it's true. We've got a Christ who's changed this world in ways that no other human ever has. We have billions and billions of people throughout the centuries who have been changed, transformed by the power of God. 
I mean, the the evidence is overwhelming. We've got a Bible that tells us how to live our lives. We got parts of the Bible that predicted things would happen exactly as they happened. Impossible except for God. And still we reject him. And in large part because he doesn't let us do what we want to do. And Cindy, the truth is we want to sin. We love to sin. And when God says don't, we just decide to recreate God. We'll make a God in our own image rather than understanding that we've been created in his image. So that's the reason, Cindy. It's not changing 2,000 years. If you don't like what God says, our human nature is such that we will invent a completely different God. Thank you for the question. Here is another question from Lynette from our mobile app. She says, Is the angel in Revelation chapter 7, verse 2, ascending on Jacob's ladder, as seen in Genesis 28, 12 through 13, to seal the 144,000. No, Lynette, there's no um, uh, connection between the angels. Jacob's ladder, remember, it wasn't a real ladder. Um, He he was having a dream, and he saw a picture of Jesus. That ladder is a type of Christ. And so the angels were ascending. It's like their duty station is here on earth, and they were ascending, Uh, going to the Father. In other words, they're sent to to minister to us. And and Jacob saw that ladder that, that reached from heaven to earth, and that was a picture of Jesus. So the ladder is not literal. It's symbolic of Jesus. You remember that Job when he was looking at God and, and listening to the Lord, he, he said uh, he realized his own sinful wretchedness. And he said, if only there were a man to, to, to mediate between me and God, reach down from God to me. And that's, that's, he was crying out for Jesus. Well, that's what that ladder represents. So angels don't need a physical ladder. So no, this angel, or this, this is just, there's a series of angels in the book of Revelation. And they have nothing whatsoever to do with uh, Genesis, with the, 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 the dream that Jacob had. Um, it, it's simply, uh, they were sent on a mission from God to seal the 144,000, uh, the 12,000 Jews from each of the 12 tribes to make sure that they were invincible, they couldn't be harmed, and they couldn't be certainly killed. Uh, in other words, until their ministry was done and the end came, they were going to be safe. So this was just an angel sent on a mission from the Lord. And we want to remember that that angels are um, um, servants of God. They do what they're told. They don't ask. They don't question. They do what they're told. And that's what we need to understand. And this was just another mission. So it uh, didn't have anything to do with those angels, Lynette, um, in, in Genesis 28. Thank you for the question. Here is a question from Patrick. He says, I have a friend who's always been a faithful believer, but now is struggling with same-sex attraction. He's taking a more progressive approach to scriptures to justify it. How can I help him? Patrick, really the only thing you can do is tell him, keep reminding him, you know what's true. You know what Galatians 6, or Galatians 5 rather, 1 Corinthians 6 is. People who live like you're desiring to live will not inherit the kingdom of God. That doesn't mean anything else. And you can take a progressive approach or a regressive approach. It doesn't matter, but the scripture is what it is. And keep reminding him of what he's always known his whole life. And so you're struggling with same-sex attraction? I understand. God says to live a celibate life. Period. That's the only way you can um, um, serve God uh, with this difficulty. Um, to try to twist scripture is dishonest. It's intellectually dishonest. And so tell him that. Now do it in love and let him know that you you care deeply for him. But you also have to realize that apart from telling him the truth and praying for him, there isn't any way you can help him. You're not going to convince him. Uh, right now, Patrick, we've got uh, an internet full 
of so-called Christians, so-called Bible teachers, who will reinforce anything anybody wants to do. Seriously, anything. I mean, um, um, there are so-called Christians who talk about having sex with children. Um, and, and, and twisting scriptures to justify it. We, we, we live in a country who justified the evil of slavery by misquoting the Bible, but they were convinced. And the truth is, Patrick, if your friend is looking for a loophole, if they're looking for a way to justify sinning, then they're going to find it. And all you can do is live your life completely committed to Christ as a witness, but praying for him, letting him know that he can come home, and when he's interested, you'll help him do that. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from J.D. Pastor Ron, did Jesus die for the sins of everyone? or only those who are chosen. J.D., this is a question that deals with Calvinism and Reformed theology, and uh, I get this question quite often on the program. Uh, and I like to quote the most famous verse in our New Testament. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whosoever believes would not perish but have everlasting life. So he died for the sins of all men and women and children. He died for the sins of everyone. Now, if Jesus only died for the, the elect, and that's the, the, the Reformed position, if Jesus only died for the elect, then you couldn't say God so loved the world. And in fact, when you talk to a Calvinist, they'll change the word. Well, it doesn't really mean world. It means the, the elect. No, it doesn't. You can look it up. It means the world. And I think, um, J.D., we've got to, Take the Bible at face value. It's what it says. It's what it means. And our responsibility then is um, is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the idea that Jesus only died for some and that there are people that are born that never, ever have the opportunity to choose Jesus. They may hear, but, well, if they weren't chosen, they, they can't say yes. Um, that is pernicious. It's evil. And it is... Um, I've just seen so much damage done when people got caught up or get caught up in that kind of doctrinal positions. So, J.D., Jesus died for the sins of the world. What does Peter say? God is patient, unwilling that any should perish. You can't twist that verse. He is the Savior of all men, Paul writes to Timothy, especially those who are being saved. You can't twist that verse. It's real simple. Jesus died. His sins were efficacious for the whole world, but only effective for those who make the decision to serve him. So, J.D., thank you for the question. Matt, I'm sorry, not Matt, it's Marty. And I don't know if this, I left off a a letter or this is a, a girl. Marty says, what is meant exactly by crucifying the flesh? Um, Marty, and I'm going to just assume that's who it is. Um, Marty, it means to die to your flesh. Jesus said this. He said, to be my disciple, you must pick up your cross. Now, we remember that in the time that Jesus lived, a cross was an instrument of execution. So you must pick up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. So to crucify the flesh is simply saying yes to Jesus, but in order to do that, you've got to say no to you. And it's so important that we get this, crucifying the flesh. Our flesh still is with us. Our sin nature is still with us. But that's why Jesus in the Gospel of Luke adds the word daily. You've got to deny yourself daily. You've got to pick up your cross daily. You've got to follow him daily. And that's simply making a decision every morning that today, Lord, I'm going to follow you. When my flesh, the desires of my flesh, conflict with what you want for me, I'm going to say no to me so that I can say yes to you. And that's what crucifying the flesh is. It, it means to take thoughts captive, to make those thoughts obedient to Jesus Christ. It means not to give in 
to the lust of the flesh or the pride of life, but simply remember who we are and for whom we live. So, Marty, that's all that's meant by crucifying the flesh. It's just getting up every day and making a conscious decision to serve him. And I would add this. um, This is a decision that we need to make many, many times throughout the day um, because temptation is never going to stop. My flesh still wants to sin. I still get angry. I still get frustrated and impatient. And i got to remember that I have no right to do that because I'm not my own. I was bought with a price. The Apostle Paul says, When I sin, I find this law at work. It's no longer me who sins, but sin living in me. That's not him trying to escape responsibility for the sin. But what he's saying is, look, I didn't crucify my flesh. And that's what sin is always at war with my body, with my heart. Because sin wants to win. And crucifying the flesh is just deciding that Jesus is going to win. Natalie asks, are there some books we should read more often than others in the Bible? Um, I don't know. Yeah, yes and no. I don't mean to sound wishy-washy on this, Natalie. Um, I, I tell our church here at Calvary Chapel that I read the book of Acts and the book of Revelation twice every year. Uh, assuming that we're going to be in our Bibles all year, we ought to be reading those two books every year. Uh, the book of Acts equips us for the life that we're living. Um, the, the book of Revelation reminds us of the goal, uh, being with Jesus. Um, but but other than that, I, I think we'll naturally gravitate towards some books more than others. But every book is written by the, the, the pen of God. Uh, every book is his literal word, um, and every book has value for us. So um, in my life, Natalie, I've probably read um, Romans and Ephesians more than any other. Um, uh, actually, Hebrews would be be in that group as well, just trying to work out who the author of Hebrews was. I wanted to become familiar with it. Um, but but I think I think we just need to keep reading it, just keep reading it, and uh, read slowly and and and, and um, meditatively. Uh, take the word deep into your heart. Uh, don't try to go through it too fast. But but uh, read those the, the books. So so again, especially in the New Testament, we ought to just have a, a, a plan to read through the New Testament continually. Uh, but but there are some books, I think, uh, the book of Acts, the book of Revelation, that we ought to read more often than others. So I hope that helps, Natalie. I think i got time for one more here. Four minutes. Walter Ray. Why haven't you said anything about men and boys competing in sports with women? Are you afraid? Um, Walter, you haven't been listening to the program with any consistency because I get asked these questions all the time. And uh, I'm really direct when it comes to the issue of uh, transgenderism and and uh, the, the world completely gone crazy. Um, what we are doing with sports, we are removing all of the rights that women have fought hard for in this area of competition um, for the last 30 years. Uh, I'm not exactly sure when Title IX became the law of the land, but but women's sports has flourished because of that. And now what we're saying to women is we can put a, a male in a lady's swimsuit, and um, uh, the in, in the case that you're talking about, um, the 472nd ranked men, man in the world uh, in, in college swimming uh, can become the number one woman in the world. And I want you to think about that. All of the other women are being disrespected. We can put men, biological men, in their locker room without any regard for the rights of women or their privacy. So, Walter Ray, I've said a lot about this. And our world has gone completely crazy. And um, especially those of us who are in Christ... We need to be willing to take a stand for righteousness. I certainly don't talk about this uh, directly 
when I'm teaching the Bible, and yet there are times in teaching the Bible when we talk about the things that are going on in the world that are ungodly. So I haven't been reluctant at all to talk about this. And to answer your question, are you afraid? Um, you're not listening to the program. You're not listening to any of my messages, Walter Ray. Uh, this is a travesty. I got one time for one more, I think. Randy, this should be quickly. Why is God going to release the devil at the end of the tribulation? Um, Randy, all I can tell you is if God would have asked me, I would have said I wouldn't release him. But remember, at the end of the Great Tribulation, uh, the devil is going to be let loose a thousand years of ruling and reigning with Christ in a righteous, just, and holy world. Um, There's going to be multiplied billions of people who are born in flesh and blood bodies who will never have had the opportunity to choose Jesus. They will have been forced to serve him but they won't have been able to choose him. And the reason the devil is going to be let loose at the end of the thousand years is so that people will have to make a choice. God never forces anybody to love him, but he wants them to make that choice. Good question, Randy. Hey, thanks for tuning in. I'll be back tomorrow on AM 630, The Word. Um, Look at day three tomorrow. Um, Jesus is Passion Week. We'll talk about that a little bit and then get to your questions. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see you tomorrow, Lord willing, on AM 630 The Word. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4 And Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.